this podcast is called Thanks kids This is a podcast about books, reading, listening, creating and enjoying them No prior knowledge is needed No level of education required If you're interested in the literary world Come with me, Jasper Peach While I draw back the velvet curtain And have some informal chats with people who are part of the biz I'm a slow reader I have some pretty funky brain fog going on and I love books. It takes me a while to read them and I mostly listen to them. So I wanted to make a podcast that reflects all types of participation in the enjoyment of literature. Slow Reader is recorded and produced on unceded, stolen Jar Jar Warren country. Welcome fellow readers, writers, editors, humans of earth, anyone else who's listening. Well, welcome. I'm Jasper Peach. I'm a slow reader and I'm coming to you from the stolen, unceded lands of the Jara people here on Jaja Warren country in so-called Castlemaine, Central Victoria. Um, I hope wherever you are, you're living respectfully and mindfully with the rightful owners in mind. I'm really glad you could join me today because uh, my guest, Jasmine, is someone whose writing has created so many expansive reactions whenever I come into contact with it and we'll be talking about the art of writing poetry uh, the work which jazz has inspired and collaborated on and whatever else comes up how to make a basket was published by the university of queensland press in september 2021 and is the first book welcome jasmine it is such a pleasure to speak with you today thank you so much for having me jasper well i i I did my homework and finished my book yesterday, uh, <laughs> my self-mandated homework. I've sort of been dipping in and out and um, it was nice to have, have this kind of reason to really have a, have a good session with this beautiful, beautiful book and, you know, just really get to know it and, and hang out together. Um, I think I first stumbled across your work. You did, you did a thingy online about writing gender and it was a Sydney review of books um, on the same program as Eve Rees. Um, and I did some pre-reading as I was putting my two-year-old down to sleep, I think the night before the webinar. And they were in that sleepy place where I just sort of sat beside their cot in my chair, murmuring and hushing before they drift off completely. And I had this time and space to have, do a bit of a read. So I read your essay about radical joy. And before long, I was <laughs> I was doing the big, sobby, ugly cry <laughs> silently because um, I didn't want to wake the baby. But it was that kind of emotional release that that's born of this beautiful, shimmering truth that resonation, resonance, resonance is the word, um, where I felt that mirror of experience. Um, and I want to... I want to quote at you. I'm going to quote you at you, if that's all right. Um, the lines in particular, um, I started writing poetry a few years ago to figure out the mess within myself when I felt my insides collapsing like a fire in slow motion. I threw myself against the page to see what would be revealed. The writings were chaotic, strange and trite, and yet the more I wrote, the more the complexity didn't feel so frightening. So that's a pretty big run up to my first question. Uh, but <laughs> where do you begin with writing gender? There's so much to explore. Can, can you firstly just sort of tell us the process of putting that essay together? Sure. Um, it was an interesting process putting together this essay 
for a few reasons. Firstly, I'm not an essayist, and so I was really overwhelmed by the task. Mm. But um, I got too much love for Sydney Review of Books and mm. for the other panellists that were on that program to, uh, you know, look down the opportunity and not take it. So that was intimidating. But, but more than that, I guess, was um, being asked to write on gender and my relationship to writing gender. I'd never thought about it before, really. Um, it's not something that plays on me so much. I write about my experience and I'm, I'm a cisgendered woman, but my relationship to gender is totally mixed up with the colonial intervention of this place. And I don't really ascribe to the rigidity of that because <laughs> it's just an import and it's a really violent one. And, and it's such so, a scam. <laughs> it's such a scam. And so I, I um, definitely identify as a woman, but only softly, right? Like only mm. in as much as that's how I've been shaped by the society that's around me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was really struck by having to write that. Um, I think about sexuality more. I think then I think mm. about gender and, and that is like as a queer person um, I'm, I'm a lot more confronted on a daily in a daily way about what it is to be you know a queer woman what it is to be a first nations person there was just this mm. sort of blind spot within me where I was like oh and then gender like do I write <laughs> about gender I suppose I write about gender I write about people and people are often gendered is that yeah. the same thing yeah so um I really had to sit with that sort of discomfort to write that essay and think about um, a lot of my role models and elders who are First Nations women and sort of unpacking this sort of matriarchal lineage and this care, lineage of care um, that I felt like was the thing when it came to gender I could talk about or I could reflect on. Mm. Yeah, that was a, it was a great discussion too between all of all of the panelists it was so it was it was beautiful and I, what I loved most about it was I don't know it, it came across it felt really gentle to to take in all these different viewpoints and, and reference points and experiences it was I don't know often often when when there are people speaking and they've got a point to make them they might raise their voice or or speak in a particular way but I don't know it just felt like it just felt like water it was Sort of like I guess that's what gender is it's it's fluid and um I yeah this whole this whole I was actually talking to someone else this morning I did another zoom um with a disabled playwright and actor and um and they were they were talking about being disabled as part of their identity and being queer as part of their identity and being um non-binary as part of their identity and there's there's so much of it where you have to perform um particularly it's really interesting what you say about um that the binary agenda it's such a colonial violence that's that's it's just so shit it's, <laughs> it's really the more i think about it it's it's horrifying that that so many people have missed out on on really exploring who they are because they don't know that that there are other options or they might not know until until later in life 100 um and i see that so much with 
you know, just so many of the inspiring non-binary or gender fluid or trans folk in my life who just like constantly are teaching me that it's all bullshit and you make your own truth, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you're making a truth outside of what's been prescribed, it's it's quite, it's this beautiful sacred process. Like how could anyone be meet that with anything other than awe and respect? It's just... Yeah, um, I'm really interested in the rest of your creative practice because you have you have so many strings to your bow. Um, do you have do you have like a, a daily practice or is it more varied for you? Um, yeah, like you said, I do have a bunch of different hats that, <laughs> that mm -hmm. I wear, um, which it it changes a lot. Um, and I'm really, really lucky to be able to operate in that way and, and to be able to survive in this system using different, you know, creative practices. Um, but I guess central to everything I do is is writing and story um, and thinking about poetry as this beautiful, messy, complex, generative thing that can have lots of different iterations. Um, and that is sort of central to everything I do. I make visual art, I write, I have a filmmaking practice as well. Um, but it's all about story and connection really and trying to reveal truths in some way. Um, I trained as a filmmaker when I first left school. And so that's very much my kind of technical craft that I can bring to certain spaces. It's also one that pays relatively well compared to say, writing poetry so it's a good way to survive um, and I worked in the visual arts for a while quite a while making films for different museums um, so now I'm so lucky that I get to continue that practice and work usually with other artists and usually First Nations artists to help in whatever project they're doing if they need a filmmaker and then that obviously sort of boys my own work because I'm surrounded by really inspiring people all the time and get to work on my own stuff as well so every day is different which is a joy um yeah. I just need to figure out how to be better at being self-employed and how to manage the emails oh. <laughs> it's so strange how much dry dull repetitive <laughs> um, things make up a creative life I, I had a had my accountant tax meeting last week and um and I, I changed jobs in the pandemic I used to be a marriage celebrant and um so I'm really like you I'm really all about driven by connection and story and and ritual for me um and I just had to bow out because everyone in weddings forgets about COVID and then they try and kiss my face all the time. <laughs> I'm pretty delicious, I understand, but um, the, the boundaries just didn't seem to apply. So I, I had to sort of think about, oh, what should I do instead? And it's always been writing for me. So I, I, I managed to sort of carve out a little a little living in that. It's, it's um, somewhat good. Um, and, and the accountant said to me, oh, so you need to put aside 20% of your earnings. And I was like, but I want shoes. What do you <laughs> It's just, it, it felt like such a strange thing. Like, what do you mean? I, I made that money with, with my heart and my mind and all of my, how can it be that it now belongs to someone else? It makes no sense to me. It's so personal, you know? 
<laughs> I know there's so much in that as well, right? Because I'm all for schools and I'm all for health systems and I'm all totally, for like yeah. safe roads, but I'm not into the fucking army. Yeah. And like, you know, having your money yeah. just whisked away to go into, Ooh. you know, so, so many different systems. You're like, yeah. oh, so much love went into something that might, yeah. who knows where it goes. Yes. <laughs> if it went to nurturing creative young people, cool. I'm all about that. No worries. Let's do that. But no, they can't, there's no guarantees. Um, how did you find your way into this creative? Like I know, I know you said you studied filmmaking. Um, but what what was it that before that that led you to to focus in that direction? So I, I before filmmaking, that's it, like really has to take me all the way back to like high school to figure out what happened before then. Um, I knew I wanted to sort of be focused on something creative, but I had you know I I come from a working class background. I had a lot of fear for income as well. Um, and so trying to find some a practical way to negotiate creativity led me to start studying something like film, which I thought, you know, I can have fun, but I, I might not be broke. Uh, but then once I started doing it, I mean, I was really young when I started studying film. I was 18 um, or 17. I had nothing to say. I was a kid. I had no story. <laughs> And I was surrounded by people who really knew what they wanted to do and wanted to be in that space. And I just felt like I was taking the wrong opportunities. So I had to spend a while figuring myself out. And I worked a bunch of different jobs and I was really lucky to be exposed to a bunch of different creatives in various jobs that I took. I worked at the NGV in Melbourne where, you know, all the front of house staff were amazing creatives in their own right. And I worked at... Um, the University of Melbourne for a little while doing administrative tasks for the uh, Australian Indigenous Studies program where I was surrounded by beautiful academics and writers and filmmakers and thinkers and I just was so lucky to sort of be drinking the water of all these incredible folk and so when I, I sort of stumbled into poetry really haphazardly I was just confused like it says in that essay I just didn't really know what I wanted from life and the way that I was operating in it so I started writing because it seemed like the only thing that I could think of therapy hadn't occurred to me so I just started writing and once I started I couldn't stop and everything felt better when I was writing and I realized that so much of the way that I operate is connecting with people through story. You know, I'm Aboriginal on my dad's side, I'm Irish on my mum's side, we're big storytellers. That's the way that we we make the world make sense. And so the more I sort of fell into it, the more I realised that writing is just the most abundant, beautiful community. It seems solitary from the outside, but once you get into it, it's so rich and dynamic, particularly poetry in the First Nations poetry community. I'm so grateful to so many people who were just, there with open arms and like, well, you, welcome, you got here. So yeah, you uh, found, it, it found really, those people, amazing. It really just um sort of fell into itself. And then once I started writing poetry and publishing it, I started thinking about how could it be in space? You know, like the page is really formidable and it can be really exclusive and really elite. And I know that when I went through school, like poetry was dry, white, dead men 
and books had I mean I've I've always been obsessed with books and the power of them but I know that not everyone feels welcome welcome in a bookstore welcome in a library and 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 they they're expensive if you want to own them so I just started thinking about how how can you have story and poetry embodied in a way or laid out in a way that people can experience it uh in their bodies or, or in you know with their ears with their senses and that led me to bringing together my filmmaking practice and my writing and then also thinking about you know space spatially presenting things so mm. that was a long answer uh, well, <laughs> but that was how it all came together yeah it, I want to I want to tell you I want to share something with you I so this podcast is called Slow Reader because I, I've got a um I'm, I've got a chronic illness that means that I get a lot of brain fog and I'm exhausted all the time because of the pain that I'm in and books aren't really that accessible to me so I mainly um I mainly consume literature through an audio format that doesn't tire me out in the same way but but the this book your book is so accessible it is the spaciousness around the words and the and the beautiful layout it's like looking at visual art at the same time as the words and just a bit most just talking about it but um it's been quite a gift to be able to sit and hold a book and read it and finish it and feel like oh that was a really positive experience and it didn't cause me days to recover and it was it was quite buoying and yeah so geez you you, you very thoughtfully created something that you probably don't I don't know, like I, I, I wonder what sort of feedback you've had from other other readers. What have people been sharing with you? It's been such a rich, beautiful uh, thing to be able to share. So thank you so much for saying that. It really, really means an awful lot. And <laughs> um, making books way harder than I thought it would be. And there's heaps of thinking that goes into it and every time someone mentions stuff like the layout and the formatting I get really really delighted because I sweated over it so much and I know that my poor editors and publishers were like oh okay more special layout stuff but it um I'm a very visual person I just wanted I didn't want to take lightly the opportunity of having something published that was going to be held in people's hands like what an honour and a privilege to get to go into people's homes and be held held in that way and engaged with so I was like I'm going to make the most of this this might be my only shot so Mm -hmm. um so the feedback any it's all been really really beautiful and I feel just so lucky so so lucky Mm. I wonder if you could share a passage with us that you've chosen for today. Sure. Um, do you have any requests? I'll tell you my favourite. My favourite is Red Belly Black Snake. Yeah. Oh, that's the so first beautiful. piece I ever wrote for my uh, wife. Well, oh, almost really? Wife. Yeah, our yeah. wedding keeps getting postponed because oh, of so um, this little pandemic. But Yeah. <laughs> One day we'll get oh, there. Hang in there. Yeah, it'll it'll happen. Yeah, I mean, it's just a piece of paper, but it's a it's a significant one, I think. It is, yeah. Sure. So I'll read it. Oh, um, thank you. Red belly black snake. The first time I knew I would hold you always. A mother, red belly black snake, glided by as we loved.
underneath the eyes of the Illawarra, blessing us. She was all fertility and love and safety. The birds knew us in the old languages, saw the love we were going to grow. I collected little branches from above our heads, a token of a sacred place. It felt like we were returning and being returned to the land that two women have laid together under these trees always. And we were welcome once again. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, my, my wife and I were sort of, um, on weekends, she's, she's studying eco-psychology and I'm always working on a million different little projects. So we were, we were sort of, the kids were like hot potatoes going back and forth between us. And um, as we sort of carved out a bit of time to do our work and we were all sitting at the table and doing Lego. And it's not the dining room, it's a Lego room now. And I said, oh, I have to read you this poem. It's so beautiful. And, and we just looked at each other and we're just like, whoa. <laughs> Um, I always get really excited because there's a couple of sexy poems in there and yeah. I always get really delighted when I get asked to like when people just mention them and I'm always like oh I'm glad that you had that experience because oh, yeah. other people sometimes yeah. draw on the really like I don't know academic you it's just interesting it's really yeah. interesting to see that certain ones that get picked out at different times well there's so many different themes across that you could you could land on um I I don't know. I feel like this book answers every every question that's been floating around for me. I I have this little daily creative practice that I squeeze in no matter what. I, I put on my sneakers and I walk around the block and it's it's really beautiful, bushy country here. It's gorgeous. And I look for patterns and proof and just in in nature, in in country that's around. And while I'm working, words come and I note them down and then I Usually by the end of the walk, something has exploded out of me and I have to write it down. Usually I just post it and look with a photo of whatever I've been looking at at the time. Um, but I feel clearer and stronger and more connected to what's real and what's important to understand. The, the themes of um, water, rivers, damage, ownership, love, queerness, and the language we have access to, they're also meaningful. Um, it's quite it's quite impressive that you've packed so much into this book because, like I was saying, there's there's beautiful spaciousness and there's the shape of the the visual of the words, but the the content is it's so dynamic. There's so much. There's so many layers of what's going on. Um, can we talk about this? Is such a weird question, but can we talk about lowercase letters? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> I, 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 I always, when I'm, like when I email the, the publicist, I'm like, okay, well, I put the title of the book in the first letters are uppercase, and then I'm like, but no, it's not in uppercase letters, and why am I deciding that it is? Do you, and there's not a lot of uppercase letters in here, um, apart from when you say I, and there's some people's names. Um, and other people's names are not in, in capitalized first letters. What? Yeah, my poor copy editor. <laughs> <laughs> is that, 
I'm, I'm imagining that's deliberate, but I don't want to make any assumptions. Can you tell us about your process there? Yeah, and thank you for such a good, you know, engaged question. I'm really shit with grammar and I have no <laughs> headspace for it. And yeah. I also think it's a really irrelevant part of our language. I know that a lot of people don't agree and that's fine, but I think there's so much rule and pedantic in English that actually obscures what people are trying to say and that we're really hung up on these rigid systems of communication that just happened to be written down by some bloke like a couple hundred years ago and became the gold standard and I don't think it's really relevant (laughs) and I think if you can that's that's one of the reasons that I work with space so much on the page is because it's it makes so much more sense to me like a full stop should imply space so I'd rather just introduce space and let people know that this is the way I, I would read it and this is the way that I think it's structured because I think it's more generous and who wants to have a page full of dots and rules yeah. <laughs> and capital letters? Well, it, it makes it so the spaciousness invites, like I felt invited into to have it as, to, to step into your experience but also to see where it mirrored in mine there's there's room there's room for everyone to have their experience of this work that's really really so lovely to hear oh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay, um like the formatting as well the words that it's just it's so pretty to look at um and I don't know I I I wonder, like, I wonder about how, when songs are written. There's, there's rhythm and notes and words and instruments, and they all come come together to form this thing that we we latch onto and hold in our hearts and our memories and and play at particular times. And um, has it been similar for you with with the shape of? Does the shape come first, or the words, or the theme, or is it a bit often together? Different? Mm. yeah often um the writing will just come out in that way because that's the way that it makes sense to me but then there are other times where I I had poems that I was really stuck on where something was wrong Mm. and it took a lot of playing with the formatting and playing again and playing again to figure out that you know uh something just needed to give in the structure itself and a lot of that full credit uh, is to Ellen Van Niven, who was my editor, who at one one of the poems is called Needles. And Ellen was like, it needs to feel more like what it's about. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was a bit stumped. And then I just kept pushing it and pushing it and ended up sitting in this sort of flowy way on the page. So it almost is like a ribbon or a river. And that then it made sense then it kind of, it fit in this like sexier, more flowy way that suddenly I, I understood why Ellen had pushed me to try and get there. Yeah. <laughs> How do you know when your book is finished? Oh, I didn't. I just had a deadline. <laughs> I would have kept going forever. <laughs> I was so neurotic. I couldn't even choose a name. <laughs> I just kept driving everyone nuts. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's tricky, isn't it? When there's always there's always deeper you could go. There's always more you could you could traverse into. It's just it's so hard to put a, a line under those things, isn't it? 
totally. And I think perhaps because this was a first book or, or for whatever reason, mm. I wrote most of these poems over the space of like five or six years. There's a really, really big time gap and there's things that I didn't expect for anyone else to ever read. And I'm still kind of shocked sometimes when I see what's in the book um, that certain things did make it in, but it was always because, you know, I, I had edits and, and someone would say, oh, this poem really resonated with me. And I'd look at which one it was and I was like, oh, I'm so shy about that one. I feel so oh. weird about it. I, I don't know if I'm going to put it in. And, you know, it often had these really emotive responses from the first readers and that was so encouraging. But it also meant that <laughs> trying to fit together a book of stuff that was written two weeks ago and stuff that was written five years ago and I was a completely different person and, mm. and I had really different things that I was thinking about. And so trying to shape something that felt like it actually worked together was really mm. hard and I probably could have kept chipping away at it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I'm if glad, I kept going, yeah. I would have just cut more and more stuff probably yeah. yeah well I think I think it's a very fine finished product and yeah it's wonderful that it's out in the world and I wonder I wonder what will emerge as as people who have you know gone in and and absorbed this book what they're going to create you know, as a result it's really really interesting to watch um oh that's the dream yeah yeah that's it isn't it um I, I had a real, I had a really reaction to um, my grandmother's spirit. I think because mm -hmm. look, my my dad died early this year, and and I it's a bit woo woo, but I, I've been told that he was after he died, he was quite lost and um, and confused, and he moved in like he, he was gone from here, but he wasn't quite at the next whatever happens and he could clearly see his intergenerational pain and trauma and like you described in this poem I, I can feel the splinters from the glass wearing the soles of my feet and it's it's a moment to moment presence to free myself and my children from it is writing a way for you to move forward in new directions from troubling glassy shardy pasts yeah, definitely. I I find writing once you put something down, often you feel a bit. I feel a bit freer from it, um, yeah, and I feel like absolutely. I can read back over something and make sense of it. Mm. And I guess kind of similar to what you're saying, like you know, everyone has complexities in their upbringing, and we certainly did. And I think a lot of intergenerational trauma was really tied up in the way that my biological father operates in the world and I felt really guilty about that for a really mm. long time and and this poem that you've mentioned my grandmother's spirit's like one of the earliest in the collection so it was very relevant to bring up after the last sentiment mm. but um once I wrote it I felt a little bit more healed mm. um and I think if that can be the result of writing then what a gift you know mm. yeah it I, yeah, it really is. I feel like once, I don't know, once it's all laid out, you can understand it a bit better and see, I don't know, how I'm not, I can't describe this very well, but um, once I've written something that's been worrying me or, or troubling me, 
and I can look at it on a page or a screen I'm like oh that's not in my heart anymore that's I've got a little bit of distance from it and I can see it for what it is it's incredibly totally yeah totally and I think also like you know there are things in my family that we all really struggle to talk about but once you've written it even if no one ever reads it it sort of feels like this gesture of being like I know that we're in it together yeah oh yeah um how have your family reacted to to some of the more personal works how's that been going you don't have to I talk about this from my family I'm just nosy <laughs> <laughs> it's going well I think but no one sat me down yet to give yeah. me a proper talking to it might be still on the horizon might be coming <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh gosh yeah I'm writing all sorts of um very very personal things at the moment and I I look at them once they're out of me and I'm like oh that's better but no one can read that ever (laughs) Uh, um, but maybe someday maybe just need a bit more spaciousness around it um and I I know what you figure out yeah (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing Uh, I also really I loved the line in um prayer is electric some shimmering obligation of love it's just it's such a perfect description of that of that situation it's gorgeous um so I'd really I'd really like to talk about launching as well in 2021 it's such a double-edged sword you know um people they need art and community and connection to carry on and at the same time it's been such a lonely year and putting something out into the world it's you just don't know what's going to happen making plans is tricky at the moment how how was it for you to put your book out in the world weird super weird Mm, weird, (laughs) Um, it It is (laughs) and I mean like I don't know what it's like to put a book out into the world anyway so I don't have a lot to judge by um but you know, writing is a very solitary process and reading can be a very solitary process. And there's these like things that we build around those parts of the practice where we gather and we celebrate and we communicate and to kind of have so much of that taken away because of the pandemic felt really weird. It felt like a kind of half birth in a lot of ways. Um, But we've adapted digitally, right? And now, I mean, let's see what Omicron does but hopefully we'll be able to keep doing stuff and gathering and I think one of I really hope that this book has a life that extends beyond a short you know couple of month cycle and we can keep I think poetry is really good at staying relevant um, and I hope that this book does keep connecting with people despite despite the lockdown and, and all the interruptions. I also think that, like you're saying, it's kind of bittersweet. I think poetry is really perfect for a pandemic because, like you were saying before, I've really struggled to keep reading books. My attention span is shot and my anxiety is buzzing all the time and trying to finish a book. I've got a pile of 20 next to my bed. And so I know that I'm not the only one who's really relied on poetry to stay connected to story and word because poetry is so rich and you can have the experience of a full novel in one page. And I value that so much as a reader and I see other people who previously have told me they weren't drawn to poetry really finding it in the last 
two years because it can be very cathartic and very deceptively simple and and those are things that we need <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah definitely there, yeah there's so much anxiety in just existing at the moment and any kind of release from that is is so it's it's so necessary just to keep us all afloat I guess um I've just got a few more questions for you um you've won a number of prizes for your work and I I've, I've had lots of you know in November it's called rejection season and there's all these all these um awards and shortlists of things come out and um and lots of people are like, oh, yep, got another one. Yep, that's the third this, this week. Yep, <laughs> lots of rejections going through. And I and I felt really troubled by that, um, that culture of comparison and better than and all that kind of thing, particularly in creative pursuits. Um, but then, I, you know, I went for my walk and, <laughs> and modelled, modelled over and I looked at, at the bark and I looked at the grasses and I looked at... Um, at all the, the ghost guns towering over me. And I thought all these things are different heights, but they're all beautiful. And they all keep me, they're all my little walk friends that I commune with every day in a meditative, kooky little state. And that's really, that's how I feel about that, about awards. <laughs> and at the same time, whenever anyone I know or anyone who's work I love gets in the water. I was like, yes. <laughs> so it's, I don't know, it's this sort of um, whizzy dizzy kind of relationship with with award. But I, I, I guess what I want to ask you about is, what do those awards give you? Like, is it, is it? Are there? Do you become more resource to then continue on with your work? Is it? Because um, I, don't, I don't really, I just know that you've won lots of awards, but I don't know what the prizes were. What happens next, I guess, <laughs> once you win? It is a really fraught thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. And a strange one. Poetry, I think, is particularly odd where I think there's kind of more prizes than there are readers sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I have been really, yeah, lucky with, winning awards and part of that was I was so shy when I first started writing that I couldn't bring myself to publish anything and so I entered awards because it felt more anonymous and it felt like the rejection would be easier to handle because you know I'd lost against hundreds of people potentially versus you know not getting published in a book that was going to be full of 50 people or something so there was some sort of mental trick that led me to doing that and then I was incredibly lucky and did quite well in some of the first things I entered I, lucky I won and skilled. A, I mean I, I was lucky in as much as it then encouraged me to keep going yeah. and that was such an incredible gift to be read and encouraged in that way and be told like you're onto something and Maybe, I don't know yeah. if I would have kept going <laughs> in yeah. sort of this public facing way if I hadn't been so generously received and encouraged by different elders mm. to keep going. I've also found and maybe I'm particularly 
lucky again, but prizes have brought me to really great friends um, where we've been, say, on a short list together and, you know, it'll be someone that I really love and respect and then we've been able to connect through the prize and then we get to become friends. And it's just the weirdest thing to then get to go hang out with people that, you know, even if you don't win, if I don't win or anything, to be able to sort of be in the presence of some of these amazing folk is just that's the reason I think I keep going back to them. And the third thing is, yeah, it can be financially really valuable because (laughs) writing a poem, if you know, sometimes I'll pour so much love into something and effort and it might get published by someone for 200 bucks in a journal and that's great and I'm really, really grateful for that. But if it rates in a prize, then it can potentially fund, you know, a couple months' rent, which is crazy. So it does yeah has this other it's not a kind of fair thing to put pressure on because I I mean I've done some judging now and I really see how wildly subjective that space is what is the judging process like it's so interesting that you go like I like this and then someone else says I didn't like that one and you say well maybe let's compromise and go with the one that we both put second and it's like oh (laughs) Writing prizes are so hard, I think, to judge because people have so many different things to say and they put so much love into something and there's so much value in all of it and then to kind of step away and say like arbitrarily in so many ways, like we've decided this one. I mean, the talent throughout, so it, it can be really tricky. I was really lucky to get to judge an art prize earlier in this year and that process was so different you just walk into a room and you all look around you know that's my favorite and someone goes that's my favorite (laughs) we didn't have to spend days and weeks reading books (laughs) 10 minutes yeah you're (laughs) reacting to creation yeah amazing oh well on on the flip side of what I said and I hope I haven't come across as prizes are bad because I think they're great also um is that I think now that you're a bit more well-known in, in a public-facing way. It means that I got to read this book and I feel it has it's changed me for the better and I'm really glad those people in that room reading all those books went, yes, this person, we want them to be resourced and rewarded and put out there a bit onto the pier so everyone can have a look. <laughs> it's really it's a wonderful <laughs> thing, a wonderful thing. Um, are you reading anything at the moment that you're enjoying? Reading so many things at the moment. <laughs> and if, you, if, um, if your answer is I'm watching Seinfeld again, that's also fine. Like it's not, <laughs> there's no highbrow here at all. <laughs> um, oh, my dog's going off in the next room. My partner's also in a meeting. So there, there's dingoes around where we're staying. Oh, and I think gosh. she's just. Yeah. really trying to become bait she's like a fluffy little cavoodle she's oh. not she's not going to be able to take them on oh, <laughs> but in answer to your question I've got a bunch of stuff that I'm trying to read but the best thing that I, I read recently was um Billy Ray Belcourt's uh history of my brief body oh yes it is so good first nations queer essayist and poet from uh, Canada, Turtle Island, 
and um, just the sort of writing that makes you keep going with writing or the sort of writing that I read and I was like, I want to keep writing. I'm not jaded. There's so much more that can be done with this craft. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And um, I don't know if you have like a a top pick of of the year of of things that you've read that you might want to recommend to us. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I'll give the first things that come to mind are uh, Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl. Have you read that? No. I bet it's a really good audio book, actually. It's by Andrea Lalor and um, it's like real sexy kind of uh, magical realism trans like I whatever the trans canon is this is very excellent writing and it's set in the 90s and it has this like great kind of grunge feminist pop backdrop against the whole thing I'm sold (laughs) so good and it's funny it's like laugh out loud funny and kind of smutty um, Perfect. Yeah. Also, <laughs> in the Dream House by Carmen Maria Mercado, uh, which is a really heavy book in as much as it's about domestic violence in queer relationships. Yeah. Wow. But a really important topic that people don't. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I'd really experienced so much writing about that. And once I read this book, I was like, oh, I can see some weird stuff in some of my past relationships and it's really valuable to see our stories told because then you yeah. feel less alone. Yeah. Um, so that book, and it's just as a piece of literature, brilliant. It's a totally brilliant piece of writing. Mm. And also um, probably Drop There by Evelyn Araluen, another yeah. collection of poetry that came out this year, also with University of Queensland Press by my beautiful yeah. sister Evelyn, who's a Bundjalung poet and I mean, Ev's a huge part of the reason that my writing oh, is what it is. She's yeah. been such a role model, even though she, I might be older than her. I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, I just think one of the best books of the year. So oh, those right. are the three I'm going to say. Oh, you're giving me a juicy list here, Jazz. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I will let you go back to your holiday. I really appreciate your time. It's so nice to talk with you. Yeah, um, and you too. Yeah. Um, I have I have an offer if Please. if you'd like it, which is I just I have a printout of a poem that I was going to read the other day for an event, and then I I changed my mind, but I have it here. It's a new one, and it's about oh. Mardi Gras. Yes, um, please. And give me, give me, give. <laughs> I thought I could do a reading if you. Oh, if that you would wanted. be amazing. Thank you, Jazz. That would be wonderful. It's a really fun one to read, and I haven't had many opportunities this year for you know. Well, I mean, I have. I've been very lucky and had lots of opportunities to read, but it's. Um, the year's going to come to a close and my poem that disliked for 2021 Mardi Gras will become less and less relevant. <laughs> now is the time, my friends. Go for gold. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so it's called Mardi Gras Rainbow Dreaming. And I wrote it in March this year during the Sydney Mardi Gras when sometimes the capitalism just really gets you down. So it goes. The BWS is now a BW, yes, as in yes, queen, as in yes, gay pride, as in yes, we co-opted this lingo from black queer communities on the other side of the world, as in beer wine spirit, 
is now a place to drink down some black queer liberation on land stolen that locks up black queer bodies if maybe they've had a bit too much beer, wine, spirits, but won't lock up others who snarl as you walk down the street hand in hand with your miso on your way to have a drink. Gay TMs. It's like an ATM, but it's gayer. Holds your hand after, but doesn't leave a number. Or maybe moves in on Tuesday. Or maybe pays for medication. Yours or Nan's or someone else's. Or helps get some kid a mental health care plan to figure out why their body don't seem right, but won't grant rights and won't write a check. And won't write to government about bodies that don't fit between two tick boxes, but will give you the option for a receipt. Thank you. See you next time. Don't forget your card. Don't forget your cash. Don't forget your yes, queen. And the Google map shows the route in rainbow to the stadium where exec gays and clever rich straights can have front row seats behind the gate to the genuine gays and all those genuine straights who thought it would be so cute to be on the corporate float this year and march alongside the police who would absolutely never systematically target the queer community and who are absolutely not built on a legacy of doing just that and who absolutely don't uphold a colony that enforces an ideology that no make no space for non-nominative bodies, just ask the next lot. Oh, yay, it's the Liberal Party. What a special day. What a lovely float. Thanks for spending all that money so everyone could have a vote. Instagram is for Mardi Gras and Google is for Mardi Gras and Absolute is for Mardi Gras and Vodafone is for Mardi Gras and Sydney is for Mardi Gras, a tourism campaign. And Mardi Gras is for profits are under a rainbow banner that holds no one up but gives enough rope to make sure there is one version of a rainbow and it fits the gaze of execs who had to work so hard to be so correct and even went to their cousin's wedding. Yes, two grooms. And look, this is what the community wants. And look, this is a community with cash. And look, Mardi, money is for Mardi Gras and Mardi Gras was a protest but protest isn't sexy when it's hard or anti-excess. So you can wrap your bigotry in glitter and call it progress for a weekend. And none of these corporations speak up when they come for our rights, but hashtag love is love when everything is over, one and done. The blacks get down on a knee and it doesn't make the broadcast. And the cops get run out, run onto, and it doesn't make the broadcast. And the community floats get their 30 seconds and the corporate floats get their 70 seconds and the protest before the march is the family event that gets run out, run onto by those cops who tried to block queer loving protests. And on the walk home down Oxford Street dreaming, we get heckled and listen to others screaming and men with iPhones ask us to kiss for their private archives and strangers with long-range lenses take photos for who knows what archive, not asking. Yes, Queen, Mardi Gras dreaming. Sydney wears its corruptness, never fearing and no need to shame your rum colony feeding, rum colony breeding more cops who can run out, run onto those who can't afford to pay. Thank you, thank you, Sydney, for our special diluted day. Oh, so good. <laughs> I know it was very long. No, I could feel the <laughs> satisfaction as you read it. Oh, yeah. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> um, no pressure to put it in, in, in the podcast, but, you know, it seemed oh, to tie in a lot of stuff that we'd been talking yeah, about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love the part about, oh, I went to my cousin's wedding with two grooms. 
my god, the amount the amount of times I turn up to work to to have a to um, hold a ceremony for people to marry people, and then someone's drunk uncle will come up to me, go, oh, what's going on with the the gays there? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> And you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty cis passing when I go to work in that that kind of um, environment. And oh, the things I'd like to say but don't. <laughs> so thank you for that poem. <laughs> um, wow, that sounds like a rough job from time to time. Some, sometimes, sometimes it's a little bit um, dicey, but yeah, I I um I did it for 15 years and. I loved so much of it. I love. I learned how to be a better writer. I think by doing really deep listening with couples and and pushing them to tell their story as well. Um, and I love the ritual and I love the magic between people while they're making those promises. Oh, it is the best feeling to be adjacent to that. It's just magic 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 stuff so i wish you such a beautiful wedding day when it when it can happen <laughs> you and your beloved that you wrote that beautiful poem for yeah thank you i'm looking forward to it whenever it happens yeah yeah <laughs> well the most important thing is that that you're together and, and you say those words to each other you know yeah it'll happen it'll happen thank that's you, it Jess, and you're so mate. right our society is desperate for ritual, right? So the ones that we can yeah. hold on to, we have to make, we have to make last. I think. Yeah, big time, big time. It's been gorgeous to you. Thank you. Um, Thank and you. Yeah, if you're in Castlemaine, love to catch up for a cuppa. I'm often in Castlemaine. I'll be yeah. down in a couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, great. Well, you know how to find me. <laughs> Thanks, Jazz. Thanks and so much, Jasper. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening to this podcast, produced and presented by me, Jasper Peach. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jasper Peach Says. And also wanted to give a huge amount of gratitude to Monique Bodger for her original music created just for us. So wonderful to have a chat with Jazz Money and feeling pretty lucky to have had two readings as well. Next time, I'll be speaking with Tilly Lawless about her book, Nothing But My Body. Till then, may your to-be-read pile be enticing and a joy to behold.